Okay, the New and Better Podcast, Episode 16. Here's the tease. So, Jesus was the ultimate priest, king, and yet, what we're going to see in, in the days to come is that that priest king, that priestly kingly combined ministry has now been extended to us. Congratulations. Through the powerful providence of a benevolent benefactor, you've stumbled onto this delicious digital bouillabaisse. Hosted by yours truly, hipster grandfather, David A. Holland. Here, we explore the too-good-to-be-true, poorly understood, badly neglected realities of what Jesus actually launched 2,000 years ago. A new covenant. A better covenant based on better promises. So, check your religion at the door. Grab a beverage. Grab a Bible. Strap in. Gird your loins. This is the New and Better Podcast. Ephesians 2, 19. I'm sorry, 119. 119. I also pray that you will understand the incredible greatness of God's power for us who believe him. This is the same mighty power that caused or that raised Christ from the dead and seated him in the place of honor at God's right hand in the heavenly realms. Notice that Jesus was seated at the place of honor at God's right hand. Now he is far above any ruler or authority or power or leader or anything else, not only in this world, but in the world to come. God has put all things under the authority of Christ and has made him head over all things for the benefit of the church. And the church is his body. It is made full and complete by Christ, who fills all things everywhere with himself. One of the fundamental questions that you have to answer in your own mind before you make a determination about what the Bible says about us ruling and reigning with Christ in this earth is whether Christ is ruling whether his rule is essentially a, a present and unfolding reality or whether it's essentially a future reality. And the church was not confused about this for most of its history. But when this, the dispensational model of understanding the Bible came along 150 years ago or so, suddenly a church that had seen basically two divisions in God's plan of redemption an old covenant and a new covenant, all of a sudden saw seven. And part of that dispensational approach to Scripture pushed Jesus' reign to almost an exclusively a future thing. It's almost exclusively a future time. However, if we look back at what we just read, we just read that Jesus has sat down at the right hand of the Father. He's at He's in the place of honor at God's right hand, and he is present tense, far above any ruler or authority or power or leader or anything else, not only in this world, but in the world to come. Does that sound like Jesus has a present rule or is his rule exclusively future? There's obviously a, there's a, 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 present, a present aspect to it. And I'll save this for later, but if you go on into chapter 2, you'll see, we'll read that we are seated with him in heavenly places. So Jesus has been seated at the right hand of the Father. All rule and authority has been given to him, and we are seated with him in heavenly places. 
As also, the passage that we just read makes it clear to point out that we are his body. So the, the presence of Jesus in the earth is essentially, we are the image bearers of Christ in the earth. And all rule and authority that have been given to him extend therefore to us. So we're going to look at this aspect of, of ruling and reigning with Christ, but we need to lay a biblical and theological foundation before we get into the practicalities of it. So we're laying a foundation tonight, and what we're going to build on top of that foundation is essentially the practical aspects of what does it mean to rule with Christ? What does it mean to reign with Christ in this, in this life? So let's look at Romans 5.17. If you want to go there in your own Bibles, that's great. If not, we'll pop it up here as well in the NASB version. Romans 5.17 says, For if by the transgression of one, referring to Adam, the first Adam, Death reigned through the one, much more those who receive the abundance of grace and, and of the gift of righteousness will reign in life through the one, Jesus Christ. So two different reigns are basically being described here. The first reign, the reign of death, was ushered in by the first Adam. It was his transgression that caused death to reign until the second Adam came along. This entire passage here uh, in Romans 5 is about the first and the, and the last Adam. And who are these people that are going to reign in life? They're those who, have, who receive the abundance of grace and the gift of righteousness. Those who receive the abundance of grace and the gift of righteousness will reign in life through the last Adam, through the one, Jesus Christ. So who, who are those who have received an abundance of grace and the gift of righteousness. Believers. Believers. When you're born again, abundant grace is poured out to you and a gift of, of, a, of righteous standing with God is imparted to you. And if you are such a person, then through Jesus Christ, you will reign in life. 1 Peter 2.9 But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for God's own possession, so that you may proclaim or decree the excellencies of him who has called you out of darkness and into his marvelous light. Now the foundation I want to lay tonight that will go to the practicalities of reigning with King Jesus is this business of being a royal priesthood or a priest, uh, priests and kings. A priesthood is a familiar concept, not only in the Bible, but to everyone in the world. And kings are a familiar concept. But this business of being kings and priests is a little different thing. One thing about kings is that they rule. Kings rule. And they're, and they're designated officers. Proverbs 8.15 says, By me, meaning wisdom, kings reign and princes decree justice. Kings reign and princes decree justice. Kings rule and, and decree and those of their, with the delegated authority. Is there, can anybody think of a New Testament, any New Testament passages, verses, or, or principles that would parallel that about the believer? In other words, that, believe, what, that believer's words would carry any authority or weight or power. How about Mark eleven twenty three and 24? That whoever says to this mountain, be removed, uh, it shall be done. Uh, that whatsoever things you say, 
it shall be done for you. Does that sound like decreeing power and authority? There are, there are numerous passages in, in the New Testament that tend to impute to the believer power and authority in our words. One of them is the, the passage that Jesus said about binding and loosing. He said, Whatever, whatsoever things you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven. Whatsoever things you loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. Priests, on the other hand, serve or minister is another word. And priests do a couple of different kinds of ministry, particularly the, the biblical model of priesthood. First of all, priests minister to God on behalf of others, uh, or they minister before God on behalf of others. Look here at Joel 2.17. Let the priests who minister before the Lord, note that phrase, before the Lord, weep between the portico and the altar. Let them say, spare your people, Lord. Do not make your inheritance an object of scorn, a byword among the nations. Why should they say among the peoples, where is their God? Now, kings rule and decree. Priests minister, in one sense, on behalf of others. This passage from Joel here is basically about how the priests who, who truly minister before the Lord basically are weeping. They're at the altar. They're, they're before the Lord. They're in the presence of the Lord. And they're weeping between the portico and the altar. Uh, and they're interceding on the, on the behalf of the people, God's people. They're saying, spare your people, Lord. Do not make your inheritance an object of scorn. There's this intercession going on on the part of the priests before God, uh, representing others. And that's a key aspect of priesthood, is priests, priests, particularly the high priest, but priests in general can go before the Lord and can go before the Lord and request of the Lord on behalf of other people. Um, priests also minister to God. Look at this in Ezekiel 44, 15 and 16. But the Levitical priests, the sons of Zadok, who kept charge of my sanctuary when the sons of Israel went astray from me, shall come near to me to minister to me. And they shall stand before me to offer me the fat and the blood, declares the Lord. They shall enter my sanctuary. They shall come near to my table to minister to me and keep my charge. They shall come near to me and minister to me to keep my charge. There's an aspect of priesthood, generally, biblical priesthood, that not only does it present the ability to have access before God, and not only does it present the ability to represent to God, to intercede on the behalf of others, there's this very important aspect of actual ministry or service to God himself that's it's intimate and that it blesses him but isn't this prophetically speaking of us as well because zadok means righteousness so it's talking about the priests that are the sons of righteousness it is absolutely it, it is absolutely uh prophetic and if you look at that broader chapter that that broader piece of that chapter there there's two kinds of priests that are mentioned there's these priests that aren't doing this they're condemned and they're, they're basically, they're, there's the, a prophetic word that's actually uttered against them because they're busy about the work of the, of the sanctuary. They're busy about the work of the temple, but they're not ministering to God. 
and there's this indictment against them. But then they are contrasted to these priests of Zadok who are actually, they're not in about the busy work. They are actually ministering to, to God. And this is absolutely prophetic of the New Covenant's believer's position as a priest before God. The other thing I want you to note, though, there is he says uh, in the final line there, they shall come near to my table, minister to me, and keep my charge. In other words, a charge is, is a, an, an order or an instruction. And basically what they're saying is that while the priest is before God ministering to him, God gives an instruction. He gives a word. And they keep and deliver that word. And I think it's important to note that in my mind, it's impossible to separate prophetic ministry from priestly ministry before God. Mm-hmm. That basically, if we want to be more prophetic, if we, if we want to be used more prophetically in our lives, then the thing to do is to get more involved in that priestly ministry before God to God. When you minister to God, and we'll see, we'll see how that works in just a minute from, from a New Testament standpoint, but if you get before God and you're ministering to God, He will give you, He will say things to you. He will show you things. He will tell you things. He will give you a word to say, and that's what prophecy is. Prophecy is hearing what God says and saying it, essentially. It's delivering something God wants to have said. And it, it says that the kind of people who do that, who hear God's charge and faithfully deliver it, are those who minister to him. First, to minister to him, you have to have access. So if you look at you know Hebrews 10.19, we won't have to go there, but you're familiar with it. It basically says, we have bold access to the Father through the blood of Jesus Christ. That's what the tearing of that, uh, the tearing of the, um, the curtain at the temple, at, at the death of Jesus Christ, the fact that the, the, the temple, or the, the curtain that was basically partitioning off the Holy of Holies, the most holy place uh, where God was, the fact that it was torn in half was obviously indicating that now access to the presence of God had been created. And Ephesians 2.18, somebody look that up right quick. Can we both have access by one spirit to the Father? Through him, Jesus, we have access so, first of all, priests have access. Particularly the high priest had access to God. New Covenant believers have access. Priests also offer sacrifices. They did that in the, uh, in the Old Covenant system. Priests offered sacrifices, and those sacrifices were burnt offerings. And uh, that was occasionally incense. It was occasionally grain. It was occasionally, uh, the previous verse talked about blood and, uh, and fat. And all of that burning in the sacrifice basically created a smoke or an incense or a fragrance that would go up. The, the ministry of sacrifice was, a, was a, a priestly ministry before God. There's some very evocative imagery in the book of Revelation about prayers and incense. That basically when we see, we get some glimpses of the throne room of God. We see the prayers of the saints as incense that come up before God. So essentially, again, ministering to God uh, and ministering on behalf of others, uh, prayer and praise are essentially both priestly functions. And it's a way to minister on behalf of others and also to minister to God himself. Hey, beloved, I've got uh, more good stuff up ahead for you. But first, a word from my sponsor, me. We call it 
page two. Let me quickly remind you about my devotional called Praying Grace for Women. Here's why I, a dude, wrote it. Far too many Christian women, beloved daughters of God, are spread too thin, exhausted, stressed out, burned out, or living with chronic anxiety. And for many, prayer has become a fruitless, frustrating, joyless exercise. Yet another box to check, another duty to perform. Well, I have wonderful news for the weary feminine soul today. There's another way to pray, a more effective way that produces a refreshing, life-giving connection with God's love, grace, and power. Get ready to discover grace for rest, grace for intimacy with God, grace for peace, grace for breakthrough, as well as the keys to praying from strength rather than struggling for strength. Okay. Now, back to the life-transforming content I'm serving up absolutely free of charge today. So, what was problematic about the, the children of Israel wanting a king before David was ready? Part of the problem is, and if you look at Exodus, Exodus chapter 19, verse 6, says, You shall be to me, this is God talking to uh, his people, he said, You shall be to me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. Uh, These are the words that you shall speak to the sons of Israel. So here's the first time in the Bible, in the book of Exodus, we see this phrase, the the kingdom of priests. Part of what God was saying there is that you shall be a a people governed by priests. You shall be a people governed by a priesthood, which is exactly what God set up with Moses. Moses was a Levite. Moses was a priest. So God, the, the, the ruler of the, children, of the Israelites was a Levitical priest. And then what he set in place was essentially a priestly government that they were to have in place until that prophecy that had been given to Judah could come to pass. So it was problematic that David wasn't ready because here basically God had said, you shall be a kingdom of priests, you shall be, a go- you shall be governed, you shall be a nation with a priestly government until this one who the scepter in Judah was ready to rise. David's not ready yet. So Saul is presented as king. Saul's not from the tribe of Judah. Saul's from the tribe of Benjamin uh, and ultimately forfeits the kingship. When we've unpacked all of that in past studies. But all that to say, there was, there was this prohibition in Israel of of the kingly role and the priestly role being combined into one person in that season of time uh, because they were to be governed by priests, not by kings. And if uh, one of the priests became a king, then that would combine those two into one person. And this is precisely what got Saul in trouble. This is what got Saul disqualified uh, from having his own uh, kingdom that would have been established for many generations was the fact that he took on, as a king, he took on priestly functions. Mm-hmm. Uh, he remember that Saul sacrificed, got tired of waiting for Samuel, who was a priest. Uh, God's intention was basically in the time of Judges just to have priests rule the people. And Samuel was a priest. He could have judged among the people and until David was ready for the kingship. Saul gets impatient waiting for Samuel to come. He sacrifices. He he basically forms a, uh, performs a priestly function uh, 
and it disqualifies him from kingship because he basically combined priestly function with kingly function. But then David comes along and, and does that very thing. Uh, David essentially takes on a priestly role and a kingly role. Just like Melchizedek had been both a king and a priest, uh, David did that. We see numerous times in, in the accounts of David of him basically going in the tabernacle when he brought the Ark of the Covenant in. David would go before the presence of the Lord and inquire of the Lord. That's a priestly function. That's something a king's not supposed to be able to do. King is supposed to have the priest go in and inquire of the Lord. But David did that himself. He would sit before the Lord and minister to the Lord directly, functioning as both a king and a priest, a king from the, from the tribe of Judah and a priest. One of the most um, prominent scenes from David's reign was when he brought the Ark of the Covenant back to his city and led the parade down the street in, a, in an ephod, basically. David put on a priestly garment uh, was wearing wearing the essentially priestly underwear, so to speak, and led the parade down the street that was leading the Ark of the Covenant back and danced before the Lord with all his might, led the priests, basically, who were carrying the Ark. And again, functioning as a priest, acting like a priest, being in, in, in priestly function while he was still uh, very much a king. So this this concept of combining both the priest and the king is we see it in Melchizedek, we see it forerunnered in David, and then ultimately we see the ultimate priest king come into the earth, the one to whom that scepter belonged. And we've done teachings in the past where we went through the prophetic ministry of Jesus, and then we saw the priestly ministry of Jesus, and then we, see, then we saw the kingly ministry of Jesus. Most of Jesus' gospel uh, ministry travels were, were him operating in that prophetic ministry. It was Jesus the prophet, the prophet to that last generation before the, the, before the coming destruction of the temple. Uh, then in the last weeks of his life, he shifted into priestly mode. The night before he died at the, at the uh, that, final, uh, that final Passover meal with his disciples, what does he do? He strips to his underwear and begins to cleanse, uh, wash and cleanse uh, his followers, which is uh, which was a priestly function before a sacrifice. The, the priests would essentially cleanse and wash each wash each other and make sure that they were ritually and ceremonially clean. But he's also he's he's ministering to them. Uh, as a priest. He's ministering on their behalf. Then he goes into the garden and he begins to intercede for them. He, he prays the high priestly prayer. Again, he's functioning in his, in his priestly office. Obviously, his sacrifice was priestly. He, he presents the sacrifice to the Father and he is the sacrifice. And then the book of Hebrews unpacks the, the reality that Jesus in, a, in some way took his own blood into the heavenly holy of holies and sprinkled his own blood on the mercy seat as the high priest uh, for all of us and still continues to serve as a high priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. So Jesus was the ultimate priest king. And yet what we're going to see in, in the days to come is that that priest king, that priestly kingly combined ministry has now been extended to us.
to operate both as priests and kings before the Lord with a foot in two realms, where it was simultaneously living in two places at once, uh, with a physical body on this earth and with a with a mysterious connection by the Holy Spirit that that has seated us in heavenly places uh, with Jesus and allows us to minister before the Father in the throne room, uh, ministering before God on behalf of other people and ministering to God, a priestly function and a kingly function. To king's decree or or the delegated agents of the king's decree and priests serve, um, and we have we have this servant leadership role that God has delegated to us. We'll unpack the the um, the implications of that and how that works in in the next couple of weeks. What I want you to see as we close, and then we'll just pray a little bit, is a passage that's interesting from Amos chapter nine, in the book of Amos, verses uh, chapter nine, verses eleven through twelve. I've got it up here for you if you don't want to try to find Amos. Um, On that day, I will raise up the tabernacle of David, which has fallen down, and repair its damages. I will raise up its ruins and rebuild it as in the days of old, that they may possess the remnant of Eden and all the Gentiles who are called by my name, says the Lord who does this thing. This is a remarkable passage of Scripture. And in it, the prophet Amos looks forward to a day in which there is a restoration, and some, some translations say restoration rather than raise up, the tabernacle of David. It's telling, this, this passage, this prophecy is telling in what it, doesn't, what it doesn't point to. The first thing is it doesn't point to is the tabernacle of Moses. You know, the original tabernacle was Moses' tabernacle uh, in, in the wilderness. And the tabernacle was what they had up until the time the temple, the first temple was built by Solomon. But in between the tabernacle of Moses, uh, which was in the wilderness, and the, tab- and the temple of Solomon, there was a period of time where there was a tabernacle of David, where the Ark of Covenant was there, and, and David sat before the Ark of the Covenant went into the presence of the Lord, communed with God, fellowshiped with Him, ministered to the Lord as a priest and as a king. That was, that was the tabernacle of David. So we're not talking about the temple here. We're not talking about the, the, the restoration of the temple. And we're not talking about the restoration of the tabernacle of Moses. We're talking about the restoration of the tabernacle of David. Now, Many people have tried to futurize this to us today, to, to put this restoration of the tabernacle of David uh, into a future time. And as is usually the case, they see it in our time. Now, you know, we talked last a couple of weeks ago about generational narcissism, how every generation thinks that theirs is the most special one that's ever been. So a lot of people look at this, uh, look at this passage and say, you know, we're, we're about to see this. We're about to see this raising up of the tabernacle of David. What Amos is seeing is the coming of Jesus, his first. He's seeing his first coming, where once again, the, the king priest, 
the king and the priest office are combined into one. It's, it's um, made whole once again so that a, both a king and a priest can come before God. And it's telling that because it says, and all the Gentiles who are called by my name. If you go ahead and just look, look at that passage of scripture right quick, because there's some broader context that helps us here. Now, keep in mind everything we've learned historically about the events, the, the, the 40 years of events between uh, Jesus' resurrection and the destruction of, of um, the temple in Jerusalem in, in AD 70. Begin with me with uh, in verse 8. I, the sovereign Lord, am watching this sinful nation of Israel. I will destroy it from the face of the earth but I will never completely destroy the family of Israel, says the Lord. For I will give the command and will shake Israel among all the nations as, a, as grain is shaken in a sieve. Yet not one true kernel will be lost, but all the sinners will die by the sword and all those who say nothing bad will happen to us. Then we get to, in that day I will restore the fallen house of David and I will repair the damaged walls and I will, from the ruins, and I will rebuild it to its former glory. So, what we have here is a prophecy in which the nation of Israel has become apostate, and a destruction is coming to it. And it's, and even though the nation is going to be destroyed, its people are, are going to be scattered among the nations. They, they are going to be scattered, but they're not going to be lost. And in that day, he will, that day of that destruction, that day in which uh, the apostates part of the nation, uh, the, the sinful part of the nation are destroyed and the people are scattered like seed among all the nations. In that day, uh, he's going to restore the tabernacle of David and the Gentiles are going to come in. So what period of history fits that description? Basically, in, in that day that the, the, the king priest, the ultimate fulfillment of both Melchizedek, the forerunner, and David, the forerunner, the fulfillment of the king priest, walks into J Jerusalem in his kingship, in his priesthood, and uh, sits down at the right hand of the Father uh, as both a, a king and a priest. Uh, he is a priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. And the nation of Israel is destroyed. The people of Israel are scattered among all the nations, but they're not lost. Scattered but not not lost. The Jewish people have remained, retained their identity to this very day. After 20 centuries, the, the, it's one of the great miracles of the retention of Jewish identity. Uh, so they were scattered but not lost, and the Gentiles have been coming in uh, ever since. So clearly, uh, this, this prophecy of the restoration of David's tabernacle was initiated in Jesus' coming and his sitting down at the right hand of the Father. And we've been living and we continue to live in this period of David's, in, this, in the age of David's. And what we're going to see in the weeks to come is what does it mean to operate if we've been seated with Christ in heavenly places, if we are ruling and reigning with him, if we have been delegated divine kingly authority to decree and to carry the king's charge to the world, and have the, have the office of priesthood as well, where we can stand before the Lord and minister to Him on behalf of others, and intercede on behalf of others and minister 
to the Lord, well, what does that look like and what are the implications for our lives and the implications for his unfolding, expanding kingdom? All of that is foundation. Okay, permit me to jump in here and interrupt myself one last time. This, by the way, is page three. Did you know that I have a YouTube channel? <laughs> Don't look so astonished. It's it's true, I promise. There you'll not only find video versions of some of my podcasts, but also lots of shorts. No, not those kinds of shorts. Short videos I've created for social media designed to give you a little dose of encouragement or inspiration. Find me on YouTube by searching at David A. Holland. Then... <laughs> Hit that subscribe button. How about it? How very grateful I'll be. That's it for today. Until next time, please remember God is better than you think and you're more loved than you know.